Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. He brought it back to return it to the farmer. Mr. Johnson was very sorry, but from information he had received, the notes issued by that bank were little better than waste paper. "'I don't understand it,' said Miss Matty to me in a low voice. "'That is our bank, is it not? The town and county bank?' "'Yes,' said I. "'This lilac silk would just match the ribbons in your new cap, I believe,' I continued, holding up the fold so as to catch the light." and wishing that the man would make haste and be gone, and yet having a new wonder, that had only just sprung up, how far it was wise or right in me to allow Miss Matty to make this expensive purchase, if the affairs of the bank were really so bad as the refusal of the note implied. But Miss Matty put on the soft, dignified manner, peculiar to her, rarely used, and yet which became her so well, and laying her hand gently on mine, she said, "'Never mind the silks for a few minutes, dear. I don't understand you, sir,' turning now to the shopman, who had been attending to the farmer. "'Is this a forged note?' "'Oh, no, ma'am. It is a true note of its kind, but you see, ma'am, it is a joint stock-bank, and there are reports out that it is likely to break. Mr. Johnson is only doing his duty, ma'am, as I am sure Mr. Dobson knows.' But Mr. Dobson could not respond to the appealing bow by any answering smile. He was turning the note absently over in his fingers, looking gloomily enough at the parcel containing the lately chosen shawl. "'It's hard upon a poor man,' said he, as earns every farthing with the sweat of his brow. However, there's no help for it. You must take back your shawl, my man. Lizzie must go on with her cloak for a while. And yon figs for the little ones. I promise them to em. I'll take them. But the bacco and the other things—' "'I will give you five sovereigns for your note, my good man,' said Miss Matty. "'I think there is some great mistake about it, for I am one of the shareholders, and I'm sure they would have told me if things had not been going on right.' The shopman whispered a word or two across the table to Miss Matty. She looked at him with a dubious air. "'Perhaps so,' said she, "'but I don't pretend to understand business. I only know that if it is going to fail, and if honest people are to lose their money because they have taken our notes—' "'I can't explain myself,' said she, suddenly becoming aware that she had got into a long sentence with four people for audience. "'Only I would rather exchange my gold for the note, if you please.' Turning to the farmer, "'And then you can take your wife the shawl. It is only going without my gown a few days longer,' she continued, speaking to me. "'Then, I have no doubt, everything will be cleared up.' "'But if it is cleared up the wrong way?' said I. "'Why, then it will only have been common honesty in me, as a shareholder, to have given this good man the money.' I am quite clear about it in my own mind, but you know I can never speak quite as comprehensively as others can. Only you must give me your note, Mr. Dobson, if you please, and go on with your purchases with these sovereigns. The man looked at her with silent gratitude, too awkward to put his thanks into words, but he hung back for a minute or two, fumbling with his note. 
I'm loath to make another one lose instead of me, if it is a loss, but, you see, five pounds is a great deal of money to a man with a family, and, as you say, ten to one in a day or two the note will be as good as gold again. No hope of that, my friend, said the shopman. The more reason why I should take it, said Miss Matty, quietly. She pushed her sovereigns toward the man, who slowly laid his note down in exchange. Thank you. I will wait a day or two before I purchase any of these silks. Perhaps then you will have a greater choice. My dear, will you come upstairs? We inspected the fashions with as minute and curious an interest as if the gown to be made after them had been bought. I could not see that the little event in the shop below had in the least dampened Miss Matty's curiosity as to the make of sleeves or the sit of skirts. She once or twice exchanged congratulations with me on our private and leisurely view of bonnets and shawls, but I was, all the time, not so sure that our examination was utterly private, for I caught glimpses of a figure dodging behind the cloaks and mantles, and by a dexterous move I came face to face with Miss Pole, also in mourning costume, the principal feature of which was her being without teeth, and wearing a veil to conceal the deficiency, come on the same errand as ourselves. But she quickly took her departure, because, as she said, she had had a bad headache, and did not feel herself up to conversation. As we came down through the shop, the civil Mr. Johnson was awaiting us. He had been informed of the exchange of the note for gold, and with much good feeling and real kindness, but with a little want of tact, he wished to condole with Miss Matty, and to impress upon her the true state of the case. I could only hope that he had heard an exaggerated rumour, for he said that her shares were worse than nothing, and that the bank could not pay a shilling in the pound. I was glad that Miss Matty seemed a little incredulous, but I could not tell how much of this was real or assumed, with that self-control which seemed habitual to ladies of Miss Matty's standing in Cranford, who would have thought their dignity compromised by the slightest expression of surprise, dismay, or any similar feeling to an inferior in station, or in a public shop. However, we walked home very silently. I am ashamed to say I believe I was rather vexed and annoyed at Miss Matty's conduct in taking the note to herself so decidedly. I had set my heart upon her having a new silk gown, which she wanted sadly. In general she was so undecided anybody might turn her round. In this case I had felt that it was no use attempting it, but I was not the less put out at the result. Somehow, after twelve o'clock, we both acknowledged to a sated curiosity about the fashions, and to a certain fatigue of body, which was, in fact, depression of mind, that indisposed us to go out again. But still we never spoke of the note, till all at once something possessed me to ask Miss Matty if she would think it her duty to offer sovereigns for all the notes of the town and county bank she met with. I could have bitten my tongue out the minute I had said it. She looked up rather sadly, and as if I had thrown a new perplexity into her already distressed mind, and for a minute or two she did not speak. Then she said, my own dear Miss Matty, without a shade of reproach in her voice, My dear, I never feel as if my mind was what people call very strong, and it's often hard enough work for me to settle what I ought to do with the case right before me. I was very thankful to—I was very thankful that I saw my duty this morning, with the poor man standing by me, but it's rather a strain upon me to keep thinking and thinking what I should do if such and such a thing happened— and I believe I had rather wait and see what really does come, and I don't doubt I shall be helped then if I don't fidget myself, and get too anxious beforehand. You know, love, I'm not like Deborah. If Deborah had lived, I've no doubt she would have seen after them, before they had got themselves into this state. 
we had neither of us much appetite for dinner, though we tried to talk cheerfully about indifferent things. When we returned into the drawing-room, Miss Matty unlocked her desk and began to look over her account-books. I was so penitent for what I had said in the morning, that I did not choose to take upon myself the presumption to suppose that I could assist her. I rather left her alone, as with puzzled brow her eye followed her pen up and down the ruled page. By and by she shut the book, locked the desk, and came and drew a chair to mine, where I sat in moody sorrow over the fire. I stole my hand in hers, she clasped it, but did not speak a word. At last she said, with forced composure in her voice, "'If that bank goes wrong, I shall lose one hundred and forty-nine pounds, thirteen shilling and fourpence a year. I shall only have thirteen pounds a year left.' I squeezed her hand hard and tight. I did not know what to say. Presently, it was too dark to see her face, I felt her fingers work convulsively in my grasp, and I knew she was going to speak again. I heard the sobs in her voice as she said, "'I hope it's not wrong, not wicked. But, oh, I am so glad poor Deborah is spared this. She could not have borne to come down in the world. She had such a noble, lofty spirit.' This was all she said about the sister who had insisted upon investing their little property in that unlucky bank. We were later in lighting the candle than usual that night, and until that light shamed us into speaking, we sat together very silently and sadly. However, we took our work after tea with a kind of forced cheerfulness, which soon became real as far as it went, talking of that never-ending wonder, Lady Glenmire's engagement. Miss Matty was almost coming round to think it a good thing. I don't mean to deny that men are troublesome in a house. I don't judge from my own experience, for my father was neatness itself, and wiped his shoes on coming in as carefully as any woman. But still a man has a sort of knowledge of what should be done in difficulties, and that it is very pleasant to have one at hand ready to lean upon. Now Lady Glenmire, instead of being tossed about, and wondering where she is to settle, will be certain of a home among pleasant and kind people, such as our good Miss Pole and Mrs. Forrester. And Mr. Hodgins is really a very personable man, and as for his manners, why, if they are not very polished, I have known people with very good hearts and very clever minds, too, who were not what some people reckoned refined, but who were both true and tender. She fell off into a soft reverie about Mr. Holbrook, and I did not interrupt her. I was so busy maturing a plan I had had in my mind for some days, but which this threatened failure of the bank had brought to a crisis. That night, after Miss Matty went to bed, I treacherously lighted the candle again, and sat down in the drawing-room to compose a letter to the Aga Jenkins, a letter which should affect him if he were Peter, and yet seem a mere statement of dry facts if he were a stranger. The church clock pealed, too, before I had done. The next morning news came, both official and otherwise, that the town and county bank had stopped payment. Miss Matty was ruined. She tried to speak quietly to me, but when she came to the actual fact that she would have but about five shillings a week to live upon, she could not restrain a few tears. "'I am not crying for myself, dear,' said she, wiping them away. "'I believe I am crying for the very silly thought of how my mother would grieve if she could know. She always cared for us so much more than for herself. But many a poor person has less, and I am not very extravagant, and thank God, when the neck of mutton and Martha's wages and the rent are paid, I have not a farthing owing.' Poor Martha! I think she'll be sorry to leave me. Miss Matty smiled at me through her tears, and she would fain have had me see only the smile, not the tears. End of chapter 13 Read by Sibella Denton 
For more information, please visit LibriVox.org.